Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome to the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ross. Our guest coming up in just a few minutes is Melissa Locker, staff writer and editor for The Athletic. She's covered Major League Baseball for more than a decade and does a terrific job covering the A's, and in particular, minor league baseball and some of the A's prospects. And we will get into plenty of that with her. You know, we've talked so much about the A's free agents uh, that may or may not return to Oakland next year. We wanted to get some of Melissa's uh, expertise on some of the prospects the A's have in the system that potentially uh, could make an impact at the major league level next season. Guys who maybe could fill in uh, for some of the free agents if they do indeed leave. So we we talked to Melissa about all of that. Some of the, the prospects in particular, Nick Allen, uh, the talented young shortstop, Luis Barrera. She had some great insight on the A's outfielder. And then pitchers like Dalton Jeffries and James Caprillion, who we got a taste of this past season. Also Grant Holmes. And Melissa also explains why she ranked the catcher, Tyler Soderstrom, as her number one prospect in the A's organization. So all that and more coming up with Melissa Lockhart in just a few minutes. Speaking of free agency, you know, we've been talking about the A's 10 free agents, and one of them is now officially off the board. I don't think there's any surprise about it, but Mike Miner, don't know if you saw the news, uh, reportedly signing a two-year deal with the Kansas City Royals. So Mike Miner will not be back in Oakland. And again, I think that was pretty much expected. He did a, did do a nice job for the A's out of the bullpen a few times and uh, gave them a little bit of depth in the starting rotation. But I think that was probably considered more of a rental uh, when the A's acquired him from Texas last season. So no figures yet as far as the uh, money that Miner will be receiving from the Royals. But that's his second stint in Kansas City. And so we wish him the best. It'll be interesting to see if the A's decide to bring Mike Fires back. That's actually something else we talked about with Melissa. Um, you know, it, it's a, such a talented young rotation that the A's have with guys like Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck, if he's healthy, uh, Chris Bassett, Frankie Montas, Sean Manaya. But, you know, with Fires, he was sort of the veteran of that group, and he's been really good for the A's, at least in the regular season. And, you know, it's been interesting to to see how they've used him and, and really didn't feel comfortable utilizing him in the postseason. So we'll see if they decide to bring Mike Fires back. But, you know, before we even get to free agency, the big news of this week will be the non-tender deadline across Major League Baseball. That's on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That's the deadline for teams to tender a contract to their arbitration-eligible players. Now, it doesn't mean they have to come to an agreement at that point, but they have to decide whether or not they're going to tender the contract or non-tender, which essentially makes those players free agents. I don't think we'll see any A's non-tendered this year, although certainly a couple of possibilities. But when you look at the list, you would assume that Chris Bassett is back, Mark Canna, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Frankie Montas, Sean Manaya. Chad Pinder, Tony Kemp, uh, Lou Trevino, you would think would be back. He's 
anticipated to not get a huge contract. MLB Trade Rumors always does their projected arbitration salaries. They've got him at $1.1 million, which I think is certainly a fair deal for both sides. And then Burt Smith is the 10th and final arbitration-eligible player. He's projected to get just 800000 So I think we'll see the A's tender everybody, um, but you never know. Sometimes you can be surprised, especially with the A's and especially this season coming off coronavirus and, and a lot of losses financially for owners. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on this week. Our interview with Melissa Lockard coming up in just a moment, but first want to remind you that the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I happen to just be checking some of the futures on Bet Online for the NFL season. How about Coach of the Year? Mike Tomlin is the favorite from Pittsburgh. No surprise there. He's at plus 100. But I was a little surprised to see how low Kyle Shanahan is. Plus 5,000 for the coach of the 49ers. I, I tweeted uh, the other day that I feel like he should be in the running. I know the 49ers are only 5-6, and six, but if you followed the team and seen the comical number of injuries they've had this year. The fact that they're within a game of a playoff spot right now is truly incredible. And if they somehow find a way to sneak into the playoffs, to me, Kyle Shanahan has to be the coach of the year. I think any other team that suffered that many injuries would be like two and 14 this season. So there's, there's my long shot bet for coach of the year. We'll see if it pays off or not. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, our guest this episode is a staff writer and editor for The Athletic. She was previously the editor-in-chief of OaklandClubhouse.com. More than a decade of experience covering Major League Baseball. We're so excited to welcome Melissa Lockard to the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. Melissa, thank you for joining us. How's your offseason going? Thanks, Ben. It's great to be on. Um, it's been good. You know, it's at this point been a fairly typical uh, offseason, which after a very atypical regular season, it's kind of nice to get a little normality. You know, we had our, our normal Rule 5 kind of uh, build up. Free agency has been slow the last couple of years, so I don't think it's been any big surprise that it's slow so far. So um, we'll see how this virtual winter meetings goes. But, um, you know, at this point anyway, you know, we're fingers crossed, still hoping for at least some sort of spring start that can get us going for 2021. Yeah, as you said, you know, free agency moving a little slowly, and, and that's kind of been the case even before coronavirus the last couple of off seasons. No big surprises there. Actually, right off the bat, uh, why don't we talk about Mike Miner signing with the Royals? I don't, I don't think anyone expected him to to re-sign with the A's, but um, what were your initial thoughts with him going back to the Royals? I know that's a, that's a team he's uh, familiar with. Yeah, you know, he had really his kind of rebound season with them, so I think there's probably some familiarity there. Maybe if he's still searching for something, that'll be a good home for him to, to get back to it. You know, I did think there was a small possibility that they would think of, of, of bringing him back um, you know, between him and Mike Fires, you know, there were two guys that are, you know, free agents that are veteran types that at least are somewhat reliable in terms of giving innings. And had they wanted to secure a veteran type for a fifth starter, uh, you know, one of those two guys may have been good targets. But 
Uh, you know, the fact that he's signing a two-year deal maybe would have taken him out of consideration for the A's altogether. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe if you can get him on a one-year deal, he, he might have been a possibility for the A's. Well, the other guy you bring up there, Mike Fires, and, you know, I, I've talked with some guests about him on, on this uh, on this podcast, and I find Fires so interesting because he has been pretty good for the A's, especially at the Coliseum. Um, and he has been kind of, you know, one of the uh, kind of a veteran presence in, in the rotation. But at the same time, you know, come playoff time, it, it feels like he's not a guy they've been able to rely on, or at least they've chosen not to rely on him. Um, w- what do you see as the, the odds that he returns? Or do you think that the A's maybe move on with some of their younger arms in the rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a budget perspective, if they're kind of trying to make sure that um, they're saving where they can, you know, that spot is somewhere they could probably go cheaper to fill. Um, I think, you know, his ability to stay healthy for full seasons since he's been with the club um, and, you know, keep within that, you know, mid threes to low fours ERA, uh, even with the home runs given up and all that, um, I think is incredibly valuable during a regular season. And I don't think they, you know, discount that value, but if they're in this sort of situation where they're going to have to replace a lot of different parts, there probably are cheaper ways to go. But then again, you know, the way the league has been trending with looking at strikeout rates and home run rates as a way to measure pitchers, he doesn't really measure up that well there. And he may not get a ton of other interest in a one-year deal for him, you know, could be something that the, the team could, could bring back um, to kind of anchor that back end of the rotation. Because, you know, between Jesus Cesardo not having thrown a lot of innings in his career so far, A.J. Puck coming off injury, even younger guys like Dalton Jeffries and, and James Caprillion being somewhat limited the last few seasons, uh, they don't really have an anchor uh, with outsiders. So, you know, that's certainly something they could explore. Yeah, you, you talked about some of the guys I wanted to get to because, it, you know, as you said, Jesus Lazardo, I think we all expect huge things from him. But again, he is young and, and fairly inexperienced. A.J. Puck, man, the question is, will he be able to stay healthy? Because he's, I mean, he's so exciting uh, if, he, if he can be out there just with his size and with uh, his velocity, uh, the big left-hander. Uh, and then you do, you know, they do have uh, still younger guys, but with more experienced guys like Sean Manaya, uh, Frankie Montas. So we'll see. Uh, you know, you do such a good job, Melissa, not only covering the A's, but particular covering minor league baseball and, and some of the prospects. Uh, and you mentioned Dalton Jeffries, James Caprillion. Another one I wanted to th- get your thoughts on was Grant Holmes. H- how close are these guys, do you think, to being able to really contribute at the major league level? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, we saw a small taste of both, um, you know, Jeffries and Papillion during the 2020 season. Obviously, those were not the scenarios that they had sort of envisioned bringing those guys up. Um, But I think having both uh, competing for a rotation spot in the spring is is very likely. I think Holmes probably gets into that mix as well. Um, You know, he's been seemingly around forever, but he's still pretty young considering that he was a high school draft pick and he missed a whole season with a shoulder injury. So, um, you know, I think he may be a tick behind, you know, those other two guys, but, um, but certainly I think still remains in that mix. Um, but I think, you know, it's just one of those things where injuries have been hard to predict. I think Puck, you talked about, I mean, in spring training, there probably wasn't a pitcher that looked better than he did, uh, before he suddenly kind of came down with that, uh, shoulder restriction. And then he was looking great again in the alternate and not in the alternate side in the um, spring training part two or whatever they called that. And then I think as soon as he reached back for a hundred percent, effort you know that that grabbed him against so hopefully the the surgery cleaned that up but of course to to go from an elbow to a shoulder is always a concerning thing when you're talking about pitchers and you know it may be more realistic if you're the A's to 
you know, hope you can get a decent number of innings from Puck, but really just hope that maybe if you get 40 valuable innings from him out of the bullpen situation as a building block towards a 2022 season, you know, that that would be a good outcome. So um, I certainly would, I would assume that they are kind of building contingencies where they're not expecting 120 innings or something from, from Puck next year. And I totally forgot to mention Chris Bassett when I was talking about <laughs> some of the, some of the A's starters, he happened to be the best. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's been really fun to watch progress because you know, he, it feels like he's improved every single year. And, and then all of a sudden he, he has the breakthrough this past season. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on, on uh, Bassett moving forward and, and, you know, what he's been able to accomplish already? Yeah. I mean, I really thought he was probably the A's most consistent starter in 2019 too, at least in terms of what he was able to do from beginning to the end of the season. You know, he's really, after having the Tommy John surgery and having a few setbacks that cost him two seasons, you know, early on in his A's tenure, um, he's really been their most consistent go-to guy. He's been a bit of a rubber arm, if that even exists as something in today's game. Um, his versatility, you know, the fact that he moved to the bullpen at the end of the 2019 season and was able to get up to like, I think it was 96 with his fastball in that role, you know, kind of gives the team a little bit extra to play with. But um, yeah, I, I absolutely would think he would enter this season and, you know, as their maybe not number one starter in terms of stuff. I think that's obviously, you know, Lizardo, but the guy that you're looking at to be the most consistent pitcher day in or weekend and week out for the team, um, I, I think would be Bassett. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Montas and uh, uh, Manaya this week. You know, there's the arbitration eligible uh, deadline Bassett, of course, is as well. Um, I don't think there's any question they would extend the contract to Bassett. Probably they'll extend that those offers to uh, Manaya and Montas as well, but it is sort of an interesting decision to make, certainly for Manaya because of the the way that the velocity trends have gone the last couple of years. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that looks. Uh, Sean Sean is represented by Scott Boris as well, which is always a difficult arbitration negotiation. So, um, you know, we'll have to take a look and see how the rotation shakes out in a couple of days. Yeah, that's a good point you make with with the arbitration uh, players, not just pitchers, but uh, in, in the lineup as well. And you know, just looking at the list, I I, I think I expect the, the A's to tender everybody. But again, with the A's, you never know. Sometimes there are some surprises. So we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that. Moving on to some of the other big free agent names, obviously in the lineup, you know, Marcus Simeon uh, is the big one, as well as Tommy LaStella. Um, my question for you is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about those guys. And unfortunately, I think it's it's probably more likely than not that Simeon leaves. I, I still think there's a chance that he returns. I hope he does. Uh, maybe Listella is more likely to return. I don't know. But I kind of wanted to ask you about some of the younger guys the A's have in the system uh, who may be able to step up if there's an opening in the middle infield. Uh, and I guess I, I want to start with Nick Allen, who he hasn't even played past high A. Uh, but I, I know they think very highly of him at shortstop. What What are your thoughts on Nick Allen, and how far out is he from being big league ready? Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, big on Nick Allen's future. I think he's a guy who, if you asked him to be your starting shortstop right now, from a defensive perspective, he would be, you know, above average already. So, you know, if that's all you're hoping for from your shortstop and you're willing to take the lumps from the offensive perspective, um, because, you know, I think his bat is more like a guy who hasn't played above high A yet. There's definitely potential there for him to be a solid kind of 
table setter at the top of the lineup or your guy that turns over the lineup in the ninth hole in the way that, you know, Sean Murphy was kind of doing, but, you know, with speed um, and not so much the power, but, you know, that, that kind of um, element towards the bottom of your order. Um, I think he will get there, but the question is, um, you know, he's not probably likely to be there now. Um, so can you develop him in the big leagues, which is not a thing that happens that much anymore. I think really development tends to happen in the minor leagues. Um, or do you, you know, want him to get the proper development, you know, maybe start the season to double A and finish up in triple A, which I think, you know, he probably would have done this year had there been a normal season. Um, you know, then, you know, I think you do need to find a stopgap for his future. I think, you know, not having to come in the year that a player like Marcus Simeon leaves and immediately be that rookie and also have the added burden of really needing to learn to hit advanced pitching at the major league level, it would be better for him to spend some time in the minor leagues, at least a half a year. Um, but, you know, it, the game being what it is, younger players have now been big, been given, you know, pretty significant uh, responsibility right out the gate. I think one of the most interesting things that happened in this crazy 2020 season was how many players seemed to jump from a ball to the big leagues with no stops in between, just because those were the guys that were available in the alternate site. And, you know, you didn't see too many fall flat on their faces. I mean, um, you know, the, the talent is there for Nick Allen to be a big leaguer now. It's just a matter of, you know, what you think you're going to be handing to him um, from a responsibilities perspective. It may depend a little bit too on how healthy Matt Chapman is coming into spring training. You know, I don't think you want to suddenly have a left side of the infield where Chapman is gone and, you know, as good as a Chad Pinder or somebody like that can be in a fill-in role, you've got suddenly, you know, a guy like Chad Pinder there and a rookie. Um, I mean, I think that would be an unfair expectation again for, for a young player, but I really do think Nick Allen is going to be a very good major league shortstop for a long time. Yeah. You mentioned Chad Pinder and he's kind of a nice piece that the A's do have, you know, as far as a stopgap, I mean, here's a guy who can play everywhere. Hopefully Chapman will be back. And, you know, theoretically, if, if Simeon were to leave, you have a guy like Pinder who can fill in at shortstop. He can play second base. Tony Kemp is another nice piece that you can uh, fill in at second base if if for some reason they don't bring back Listella and Simeon. I'm, I, again, I'm hoping they at least bring back one of those two guys. Um, another, another one of the youngsters I wanted to ask you about uh, on the infield was Sheldon Noisy. Uh, I think he was a guy, you know, he really impressed me a couple of years back defensively because, you know, they just kind of stuck him at second base and that's not where his experience was. And he picked it up really well defensively. Uh, bat may be a little inconsistent. I mean, the, the power potential is there. Um, what are your thoughts on him? I, I was actually a little surprised we didn't see him at all this past season. Yeah, you know, I, I was a little surprised too. I, I think the, the kind of what I was hearing from the alternate site was that he got off to a very slow start there. Um, and, you know, they didn't necessarily feel like he had been playing well enough there to jump into a postseason race, which really, you know, I mean, the craziness of this season was, and he's a slow starter anyway, right? So like, if you look back at his time in, in AAA, um, slow starts are, are normal. He normally has a chance to make it up a full season. My guess is over a full season, he probably would have. But a, a slow start one month, you know, in the alternate side, and all of a sudden it's September, and you've got to bring in Tommy Lestella because you're pushing for, you know, what they think really realistically we're hoping was a World Series title. So um, I think that's why we didn't see him. I mean, one thing that the A's have always been pretty big on is that young players have to earn their way to the big leagues. Um, and so I think he hadn't punched that ticket strongly enough then, you know, that being said, I'd be very surprised if he didn't have, um, you know, some sort of a path to a, a roster spot 
this spring, um, you know, whether, especially if they don't bring back either Lucella or Simeon, but um, but even if they don't bring back one, you know, I don't think you see him as a everyday shortstop, but he actually was okay when I saw him down there in Stockton. And he certainly has a lot more athleticism than I think people give him credit for. I mean, I think the body type sort of makes people uh, assume that he's kind of a plotting sort of send of all type player, but he's really not. I mean, he, he moves very well with his feet. He's got one of the strongest arms in the whole organization. And if someone, you know, if Matt Chapman was going to miss a significant amount of time, um, you know, it's noisy who was probably the better defender at third base to be your everyday guy there. Uh, you know, offensively, the hit tool has always been there. I mean, if you look back, uh, all dating back to when he was in the Nationals organization, he's always hit for pretty good average. Um, but the, the power hasn't quite, except for when he was in Vegas, you know, emerged yet is, you know, what, from what you would expect for, from him yet. Um, but we'll see if that's that's coming. And, you know, the plate discipline is just the main thing. I think getting him to swing at the pitches, he can be successful at hitting because he's got really good hand-eye coordination. So he can make contact on pitches that are not great to hit. Um, but getting him to lay off those and really just hitting the ones that he can, you know, do damage with, um, I think will be a key to sort of unlocking um, his offensive potential. But he's a very talented player. And yeah, I mean, um, you could stick him pretty much anywhere on the infield, except probably behind the plate. And, you know, it wouldn't be a total disaster at all. And, and certainly I think at third base and at second base, you have a chance for an above average defender. I think the outfield is going to be interesting for the A's, you know, a couple of decisions, uh, assuming that they, they bring that they tender uh, Mark Canna and bring him back. You know, Loriano will be back. Um, Robbie Grossman being a free agent. I think they really like Robbie Grossman and, and would like to have him back, you know, if they can make the deal work money-wise, if, if the price is right. But uh, if he were to leave, it, it kind of opens up a, a spot. You know, a couple of guys I wanted to ask you about who uh, we haven't really seen in the big leagues yet, uh, Luis Barrera and Greg Dykeman, who I think have both they're both probably pretty close to major league ready. Do you see those two guys – contributing this year? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think uh, Luis Barrera has got a chance to be, you know, a, an everyday starting right fielder um, defensively, you know, big, strong arm. Um, he's, he actually runs well enough. He could probably be a, a center fielder type too, but that arm really becomes a weapon in right field, sort of a similar skill set, I guess, to Loriano and, you know, the, the ability to kind of play both positions and you sort of decide where you think that, that arm weapon is, is most valuable. But um, you know, is a hitter. He hits for average. Um, doesn't necessarily hit a lot of home runs, but he gets a lot of extra base hits. He really um, gets into those gaps well. And when he starts running, he's just, um, he's really fun to watch. I mean, I, you know, I think he had as many triples as he did doubles in his uh, 2019 season with Midland. Um, you know, I was following, uh, he's playing for Lise in the, or Lise in the um, Dominican Winter League right now. And uh, first or second game of that season, he's tripling already. They, you know, they already have nicknames for him. I mean, he's, he's a big, he's a big time player for that, um, you know, franchise as well. Um, so he's got a lot of really interesting potential. Um, and, you know, Greg Diekman was an interesting guy that, you know, here he was second round pick um, and really had a, a nice short season in the year he was drafted. And then, you know, he, in 2017 and then 2018, he enters his wrist sort of early in the season with Stockton didn't, Tried to play through it and it just kind of tumbled out of control from a numbers perspective, came back, kind of did a different injury to it. I think actually the first injury was a broken handmate. And then he came back towards the end of that season, 
it was weaker than I think even he anticipated. And then I think he sprained, you know, the wrist in, this, in a different area, sort of trying to compensate. So it just sort of turned into a big mess. Uh, and then 2019, it took him a little while to having come off of that. And then they really pushed him. I mean, he hadn't done anything in A-ball to necessarily earn, you know, a promotion to double A, but with the guys that were coming up behind him and the fact that he was a, a college pick, a, you know, a little bit older at the time that he was selected, it sort of made sense to move him up. So, um, you know, they challenged him and it took him a while to get going at Midland, but in that last month of the minor league season, and then during that postseason, he was one of the best hitters in the Texas league. And then he went to the Arizona fall league and scouts were raving about him. Um, I think he had nine home runs in, I don't know, 20 games or something. Um, but, you know, he's a kind of profile uh, corner outfielder type home, home runs, doubles, lots of RBIs, maybe won't hit for average, but can, you know, get a, a fair share of walks defensively moves pretty well, um, has another strong arm, isn't necessarily fast, but he's a good base runner. Uh, Barrera is also, I think, maybe one of the best base runners in the, in the A system, um, just from first to third. He's still working on his, his jumps for um, stealing second, but in terms of being able to get extra bases, uh, both those guys, you know, move well enough to do that. And they both hit left-handed, which I think is something that, um, you know, Grossman, what they really valued was his ability to balance that lineup from the left side. But between those two, you know, Seth Brown is also a left-handed hitter, Sky Bolt, who's a, a switch hitter. Um, I, I don't know that the need is necessarily there for that left-handed bat, especially if you're looking to save some money at the margins um, to bring back Grossman, as good as he was for them for most of 2020. Yeah, Seth Brown and Sky Bolt, I'm, I'm glad you brought those guys up because that does provide the A's with a little bit more depth, and I think maybe those are two guys that we'll see contribute at some point um, this this upcoming season. One more outfielder I wanted to ask you about, and I promise I'm almost done going through all these prospects with you, but, you know, a guy that's really interested me is Dustin Fowler. Uh, he was, you know, he was really highly thought of when he came over from the Yankees, and, you know, he, he got an opportunity at the big league level, sort of scuffled a little bit. It, it feels like maybe he's kind of taken a step back and, and sort of uh, no longer front of mind when it comes to these A's prospects. What, what's the latest with Dustin Fowler? And do you think he still has a chance to be a big league player someday, an impactful one? Yeah, I mean, he's a very talented player. And, and I think, you know, he works hard. He's tried to make a lot of adjustments that they've asked him to make. I think he came over as a player who, through, through his natural ability, was able to hit, you know, for average and starting to hit for power. He's, he was a great base runner before the, um, the knee injury and everything. But um, he hadn't necessarily had to kind of focus on refining his approach. And so that's something that they've really drilled into him the last few years. And I think it took him a little while to, you know, I mean, when you go from being a top prospect with the Yankees to coming to a new organization and they're telling you, you know, these are things you need to fix, I think it's natural for you to be like, well, I, I was a top prospect with the Yankees. I'm not really sure why you think I need to change everything. So it took him a little while, but I think he was starting to get it a little bit in 2019. Um, his walk rate had gone up. Um, and I, that was something that they were really, you know, focused on not having, he didn't, you know, he, he had a tendency, I think, to swing at the first pitch, no matter what it was and um, kind of get him to be a little bit more selective early in the count. You know, defensively, it took him a while to get back from that injury. And, you know, again, I, I certainly understand why that would happen, but I, there was some shying away from walls, some kind of not necessarily going full speed into gaps when there was a chance you were going to run into a wall. Um, and that really had started to resolve itself uh, by the end of the 2019 season as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to know what necessarily was accomplished in the alternate site. Um, I don't know if 
he eventually, you know, if he's got a path with the A's just because sometimes a change of scenery is something that is helpful when a player has run into a um, kind of a, a roadblock with an organization at the AAA level a couple of years in a row. Um, but I do think he's got big, big league skills. Um, so we'll see, you know, I mean, I think his roster spot certainly is one that could be, um, you know, vulnerable if they're looking to add players and, and, and get their, you know, roster spot on a roster uh, list under 40. Um, but, you know, it, it isn't to say that he couldn't still find a way to be with the team in the spring and be that left-handed bat that we were talking about. All right. And then one more guy I want to ask you about before I let you go. Uh, I saw your prospect rankings for the A's. You put the catcher, Tyler Soderstrom, at number one. I think a lot of A's fans are excited about him. Obviously, they've already got a couple of really good young catchers uh, in Sean Murphy and Jonah Heim. But uh, as far as, as the uh, as far as the talent level and the potential for Tyler Soderstrom, what made you put him at number one? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing I'll probably be mostly alone in that. But um, I really felt like when I'm talking, when I was talking to people at the alternate site, and a lot of these are folks that tend to not be that kind of um, effusive with their praise for younger players necessarily. They tend to be a bit more measured. I, they, there was just a lot of, wow, you would not think this kid was 18. You would think he had played at a four-year program for at least three seasons and had done really well at that four-year program. Um, you know, he went through little peace and valleys during the alternate site and, and instructional league, but um, his power is legitimate already. Uh, he has a good understanding of what he wants to swing at. Um, he can use all fields. He, he's got um, sort of a professional game plan before, you know, his, with his training already. I think the fact that his dad played in the big leagues and runs this um, kind of training facility in his hometown, I think was a big deal. In, in sort of his development and you know he, he just seems like a guy who wants to get there so when you have that talent and you have that kind of drive um i think there's a very good chance that it could really click and even if he doesn't stick a catcher he's got some defensive skills like arm strength and athleticism that can put him somewhere else and if that bat is going to you know go develop in a hurry and they do still have sean murphy and jonah heim you know you may end up seeing him out in right field or or at, you know a third base or, or something like that um, but that, that bat should play there anyway. So, um, I think, you know, he's a guy that the A's haven't had a ton of these guys who could be really big, young superstar type hitter types in their organization over the years, they tend to draft older players. Um, but he's one of those guys that has a ceiling that could potentially, and, and we're a long way from getting to that point, but could potentially be one of those types. So that's why I went with him as my number one. Great insight as always, Melissa. We thank you again. Uh, that's Melissa Lockard. You can follow her on Twitter at Melissa Lockard. She's a staff writer and editor at The Athletic. Does a great job covering the A's, the Giants, minor league baseball, even uh, non-baseball sports too. A little bit of everything. So we know you're busy. We appreciate your time, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming on the Believe in A's podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Really good stuff there from Melissa Lockard, and we appreciate her coming on the Believe in A's podcast sharing some knowledge of the A's top prospects and some of their minor league system. Certainly, it's going to be interesting to watch this upcoming season. Obviously, a lot of the free agent decisions the A's have to make are going to play a big role as, as far as some of those prospects we talked about and who we might see make an impact at the major league level. But it is nice to know that the A's have some depth at a lot of positions uh, if they do let some of their free agents go and potentially uh, non-tender a couple of guys. Although, as I have mentioned earlier, I do think we'll see the A's tender contracts to all 10 of their 
arbitration-eligible players. Again, that deadline coming up on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be worth keeping an eye on some of the other teams across baseball, too. I think maybe not from the A's, but I do think we'll see some uh, big-name non-tenders across baseball this year. And that certainly could give the A's uh, some more players to target potentially in free agency for reasonable prices. So that's something else to keep an eye on. And then just looking at the off-season schedule beginning next week from Monday to Thursday, it's the MLB winter meetings, although it'll be virtual this year due to the pandemic, but still going to be worth keeping an eye on. We'll see if there's any free agent moves or trade talks down at the winter meetings. I say I say down at the winter meetings because I'm used to them being in either Vegas or Texas or Florida, somewhere south. Uh, this year, I'll say down for virtual. And then the Rule 5 draft coming up next Thursday, December 10th. So we'll see if the A's make any moves there as well. We'll be coming back at you with a new episode in two weeks. That'll be Tuesday, December the 15th. In the meantime, we encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Ben Ross Tweets. Again, you can follow Melissa if you'd like at Melissa Lockard. And don't forget to subscribe and download the podcast anywhere you get your pods. We thank you for tuning in to the Believe in Oakland A's podcast, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.